0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the True Crime Podcast, where we
1: focus mostly on San Diego cases. I am Renette. And I'm Irina. And today I will be speaking about the case of Danielle Van Dam. So Danielle was born on September 22nd, 1994. She was actually born in Texas, Mm -hmm. Plano, Texas. But then shortly after, the family moved to Saber Springs in Poway, okay so danielle was a middle child she had two other brothers her mother brenda she was a stay at home mom she took care of the kids in the home and the father damon he worked as an engineer at qualcomm okay she went to creekside elementary school where she was in a combined first and second grade class at the age of seven she was described as a kind sweet quiet girl who laughed a lot She was strong-headed, but well-behaved, and she was loved by everyone. Mm -hmm. She really loved coloring. She liked playing with dolls, writing, and drawing in her journal. And she was just beginning to take up piano. She was also a brownie in the Girl Scouts, and she sold cookies in her neighborhood every year, including a neighbor named David Westfield, who lived two houses away. Mm -hmm. Friday evening, February 1st of 2002, Danielle's mother, Brenda, and two of her girlfriends went out to a bar called Dad's Mm -hmm. in Poway. Dad's. Yeah. (laughs) Danielle's father, he stayed at home with the three kids. Danielle was put to bed at around 10.30 p.m. She went to sleep with the other two kids. Brenda, the mom, she came home at around 2 a.m. with four other friends. They chatted a bit with... Uh, Damon, the dad, for a little while, and then the four friends left. Brenda did notice that a light in the home security alarm system had been flashing, Uh but the alarm didn't go off. And she did see that the side door of the garage was propped a little bit open, but she didn't think anything of it. She went to close the door and she just disabled the alarm. Mm-hmm. Damon and Brenda, they went to sleep believing that all three kids were asleep in their rooms and everything was fine. About an hour later, it was about maybe 3 a.m., Damon woke up and noticed that the alarm light again was flashing. Mm-hmm. He, This time he was the one who noticed he found out that the sliding glass door leading to the backyard was open. Oh no. He closed it and then went back to bed, not checking on the kids.
0: Darn unfortunately,
1: it. Yeah. The next morning, they noticed that Danielle was missing. Her parents called the police at 9.39 in the morning. Hundreds of volunteers searched the deserts, highways, and remote areas for weeks and weeks, but they couldn't find anything of Danielle. That's the whole purpose of having home alarm systems. Yeah, I thought about that too. I don't think the alarm itself went off because I think the light flashing was maybe only connected to like the side doors or the windows. But that's like a notification to let you yeah. know something happened though, right? Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. um, the parents later on, they to actually talk about that, that they really, really regretted not checking up on that mm-hmm. sooner. The fact that it was just really late, they were tired, they were chatting with friends, they kind of just didn't I think can more understand of that it. Too, yeah. yeah, and they thought maybe, oh, the side door was just left open, cracked open, like close it and go back to bed. Mm-hmm. On February 27, two thousand two, two searchers, volunteer searchers found Danielle's body. She was nude, partially decomposed, near a trail into Hesa, California, which oh is just a east part, which is like deserted area. Mm-hmm. Because of the condition of her body, the coroners were unable to determine the actual cause of death or whether she was sexually Assaulted. They actually had to use dental records to confirm her identity. Oh, man. But I mean, being found without clothing, you can yeah. assume. So let's talk about this neighbor, David Westerfield. Westerfield was born on February 25th, 1952. He was 49 years old at the time when Danielle disappeared. He was self-employed as an engineer and he had several patents for medical devices. And then he was trying to start up some businesses. Mm-hmm. He graduated from James Madison High School and he was a divorced father of two grown college students okay he lived two houses away from the van dams he also owned a luxury motor home that he had parked out in his front yard he had no criminal record at the time mm-hmm. so he wasn't a suspect quite yet but danielle's parents did say that about three days before danielle's disappearance danielle and her mother brenda had sold girl scout cookies to westerfield mm-hmm. and who he also invited them into his home they were actually pretty friendly And he knew the whole family. They knew him. When police interviewed Westerfield, he stated that he did not know where Danielle was, but that he had been at the same bar that Brenda had been in that Friday night. They asked Brenda and she confirmed. She said that she did see him there and they chatted for a bit, but then he left before she did. Okay. Saturday morning... The next morning, Westerfield fetched his motorhome from another part of town. He said that he stocked it with supplies, left home at around 9.50 a.m., minutes after Brenda called 911 to report Danielle missing. Westerfield told police that he had driven around the desert and the beach in his motorhome and that he stayed at the beach campground. This was later confirmed by witnesses. It was also confirmed by cell phone records, gas receipts, and credit card records. So it seemed like he had his alibi and he was being covered pretty well. Okay. Westerfield said that he intended to go to the desert, but realized he had forgotten his wallet at home. So he went to the campground at Silver Strand State Beach. Mm -hmm. He had paid in advance for a two-night stay, but he said that the weather was too cold, so he returned home to fetch his wallet, after which he went back to the desert. A witness, though, at the Silver Strand uh, State Beach said that he saw Westerfield pull out his wallet at the campground Uh, and had spoken to him. And then if
0: he says it's too cold... I mean, he has a motor home, yeah. which has blankets. And, and why
1: was he going like back and forth to the desert, and then the excuse to go back to the house to mm-hmm. fetch his quote-unquote wallet that the witness said he already had? Yeah. And he stated that he drove to the desert where his motor home got stuck in the sand, and that was about a quarter mile off the road, and he needed help to get a tow truck to get free. The next morning, Westerfield stopped at a dry cleaner's and dropped off two comforter's two pillow covers, and a jacket that would later show traces of Danielle's blood. Westerfield said that he had given his RV a cleaning when he returned from his trip, but that's a normal thing for him to do since he just came back from the desert. Okay. Because that was why. The police were asking why was his RV so clean. Mm -hmm. February 4th, law enforcement placed Westerfield under 24-hour surveillance.
0: So, but if they found her blood on the comforter, why couldn't they arrest him then and there?
1: No, that that was something that they later found out. Okay. For the moment, they just had him under 24-hour surveillance. Okay. Then the next day, on February 5th, his motorhome, SUV, and other property, they were impounded for testing. Mm -hmm. And that's when they were able to find the uh, traces of blood on the... From the dry cleaners, Aww. February 22nd, five days before Danielle's body was found, Police arrested Westerfield for Danielle's kidnapping after two small stains of her blood were also found on his clothing in his motorhome. Westerfield pleaded not guilty and went on trial on June 4th 2002. In pre-trial motions Westfield's lawyers moved to have his statements to police excluded, charging that he was unfairly interrogated for more than nine hours by detectives who ignored his repeated requests to call a lawyer take a shower, eat, and sleep. This guy like kidnapped raped and murdered a little girl and he's like i need to take a shower
0: how do you plead not guilty if her Seriously. blood is inside your murder home
1: yeah the forensic evidence presented by the persecution included danielle's blood stains on westerfield's jacket on the floor of his motor home danielle's fingerprints in the motor home hairs from the van damme family dog on uh-huh. westerfield's bed comforter danielle's hair on the sheets of his bed and matching acrylic fibers found on danielle's body and in Westerfield's home, among other evidence. Oh, man. So, when I saw that her dog's hair was inside his motorhome, mm-hmm. I was wondering um, how that happened. Apparently, Danielle was cuddling with her dog the night that she was kidnapped. Oh, my gosh. I know, like, sweet little thing. <laughs> yes. During the trial, Westerfield's lawyer suggested that the police were in a rush to solve the case and declined to consider other suspects.
0: How is there other suspects? There's so much of her DNA throughout the motorhome. And his
1: alibi wasn't matching up. His story was going like back and forth. Mm -hmm. They also found child pornography on Westerfield's computer. His lawyers actually suggested that Westerfield's son, Neil, who was 18 at the time, was the one who was downloading pornography they blamed his That friend. is
0: how slimy you are that yeah. you have
1: to pin it on your own son or the fact that Westerfield agreed to that too mm-hmm. like yeah pin it on my son i don't care cold in testimony later on neil denied all this of course mm-hmm. part of westerfield's defense focused on the lifestyle of daniel's parents who they argued had an open marriage were swingers and smoked marijuana in their garage regularly <laughs> so what like okay
0: maybe uh, he's jealous yeah that they have like this e- nice perfect family you're perfect, not but. perfect that they have an open marriage maybe he wishes he can be part of that i you don't saw know. a
1: photo of him he looks like a thumb with hair it's really- <laughs> <laughs> he's so gross looking Can't you're gonna google, google him
0: <laughs> definitely a thumb with hair <laughs>
1: The defense suggested that because of his lifestyle, there may have been other people at the home that night. Mm -hmm. So they always had like friends over. And that night that she was kidnapped, they did have friends over. So he was, they were trying to blame it on that, on that, that a friend probably did this and left the door open or... Yeah, but how did all of... How was
0: her blood and the dog's hair and everything in the the motorhome? It doesn't
1: make sense. Former San Diego County District Attorney Paul Fixed stated that the parents of Danielle Van Dam were put under a microscope with the intensity turned up very high. And then the media found out that there was, outside the marriage by consent, sort of an open marriage type of thing, and that put gasoline on the media fire. They were trying to pin it on the parents. In closing arguments, Westerfield's lawyer argued that no evidence of Westerfield was found in the Van Dam home or at the body dump site, and that a foreign hair found under Danielle's body was not his. In rebuttal, the prosecutor argued that it is possible for an intruder to enter a home without leaving trace of evidence, especially if they were taking precautions and knew what they were doing. Yes. The trial lasted a total of two months. During the trial, Westerfield's 19-year-old niece testified that when she was seven years old, her uncle entered his daughter's bedroom, where the niece was spending the night with her parents while they were attending a party woke up to find westerfield rubbing her teeth her teeth yeah she said that she bit his finger as hard as she could, then went downstairs to tell her mother. Oh my gosh. Westerfield was questioned about the incident at the time by his sister-in-law, where he explained that he had entered the bedroom to check in on the children and was trying to comfort her, but that the incident was then forgotten by the family until this came up. Comfort her when she's sleeping by yeah, rubbing her rubbing teeth. rubbing her teeth. I didn't understand that. So weird.
0: But good for her for going straight down to tell her yeah, mom because some people him. are scared yeah um, biting him
1: and running downstairs mm-hmm. good for her august 21st of 2002 the jury found westerfield guilty of first-degree murder kidnapping and possession of child pornography good. but there was no charge of sexual assault because of her body was so decomposed they couldn't do like a rape, rape kit. kit yeah right but if she was found naked and yeah. like some of her stuff
0: was on his sheets uh, in the bed in the murder home mm-hmm. i'm sure he did something
1: yeah and it wasn't like animals ripped her clothes off because there was no traces of her clothes anywhere, only mm-hmm. in his motorhome. home. In January 2003, Judge William Mudd sen- sentenced Westerfield to death. But because of the July f- 2014 ruling of the unconstitutionality of the death penalty in California, mm-hmm. it is not known when or if Westerfield will face execution. Uh. So he was sentenced to death. He was sitting on death row. But in 2014, when the laws had changed, now it's not sure if he will face the death penalty or not. But I kind of like the idea of him sitting rotting and rotting. In jail. And, mm-hmm. We all know people who hurt children do not do well in jail. Right. The Van Dams sued Westerfield, but the case was settled out of court. They were awarded $416,000 from several insurance companies who insured Westerfield's home, SUV, and motorhome. Mm-hmm. The settlement also prevented Westfield from ever profiting off of his crime. Okay, good. Yeah. The overpass on Interstate 8 at 2nd Street in El Cajon has been named the Danielle Van Dam Memorial Overpass, and it is near where her body was found. Oh, okay. Which I had no idea idea that that was a memorial for her that's the exit I would take all the time to get to my friend's home so that's kind of crazy I would take that exit almost every weekend and not have any ideas yeah I didn't Mm -hmm. know who Danielle Van Damme was um Paula Call who was the mother of Danielle's friend Sarah said quote It was always a joy to have Danielle come over to your home. She was really a well-rounded little girl. She sometimes liked to explore complex topics for a seven-year-old, like how she could change the world for good oh my gosh that is so sweet (laughs) danielle's father stated quote with today's confirmation that our beloved danielle will never again be physically present in our lives we are experiencing the depths of sadness loss and grief which only parents who have lost children under similar circumstances can fully comprehend Danielle was a very special, beautiful, loving girl. We miss her desperately, but find comfort in knowing that she is now safe again and at peace. So Danielle's family, they still live in Southern California. They formed a foundation called Mm -hmm. the Danielle Legacy Foundation, which works to promote volunteerism. That will initiate positive changes that will put our children to safety first.
0: That's great. So right now, like he, what prison is he in right now?
1: Oh, Westerfield is currently incarcerated at the San Quentin State Prison.
0: Oh, okay. A lot of them are are at that one. Yeah, Yeah, that's a popular one for Mm -hmm. sure.
1: Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. And next time, Renette will also be doing a case.
0: Yes, and so I will be doing the next episode and talk about a local San Diego case. We appreciate each and every one of you who listened to us and we will see you next time. Bye. Thank you.
1: Bye.